Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest, and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who has a key to my church. Of course you do. (laughs) I just got it, actually. That's so exciting. Yeah, because I'm there all the time now. Gosh. (laughs) I feel like um, you having keys to important buildings is helpful, though. You're the kind of guy who, if I got locked out of my apartment, I would want you to be the one with a spare key to let me in. And I mean, it helps that I'm one of your few friends with cars. It's true. (laughs) But also, I could walk to your house from my house. That's fair. (laughs) Maybe not in this weather, but in life. Yeah, generally speaking, yes. Generally speaking. Although, I have locked my keys in my own apartment enough times that we got a lockbox for our apartment. (laughs) Because when my boyfriend travels for work, he's not going to be there to come bail me out. So we've put an emergency set of keys in the lockbox out front so it doesn't happen to me. And my my apartment just has a code so literally anyone can get in. I know the code to Brian's apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Although I try not to use it because I think it freaks your roommate out. I think he's used to it at this point. It's fine. Yeah, but your old roommate I I knew had no problem with me just waltzing in whenever. I don't know. I usually usually let John know when we're recording. I forgot tonight uh, because it's normally on Mondays. But usually he's aware that you're going to be around. Yeah, but I think it's still weird to, like, just walk into your apartment sometimes. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) It's all good. All right. It feels like it's been forever since we've recorded, even though it's been eight days. Uh, What are we talking about this week, Brian? So last week I said that there was a weird thing that I came across at the end of my research. Oh, I didn't think we were going to get to it so soon. It's partly me being lazy, partly me being excited. We are continuing on from the Ten Commandments, and we're just going to go straight into the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Melting people's faces off, Uh, hiding secrets, doing all the good stuff. Yeah, the melting faces is not biblical, but yeah. But Uh, we're still going to talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. I actually have not seen Indiana Jones in a while, so. Yeah, I think we need to do a movie night. (laughs) Anyway, the Ark of the Covenant We talked about it a little bit last time. Yeah. It's the container that the Ten Commandments are in. Theoretically. No. Or is that a real fact? Historically, it was the thing that the Ten Commandments were in. Okay. It was a real object that held the real Ten Commandments at some point. Yes. And according to the letter to the Hebrews, it also contained a jar of manna, which is uh, weird flakes of bread that God fed the Israelites in the desert. Okay. Or also, I think, a video game thing. I think it's a <laughs> general gaming term for, like, life or health. That sounds right. I'm sure someone will let us know. I'm pretty sure it's a Magic <laughs> the Gathering term, actually. Oh, then someone will definitely let us know. <laughs> Please, to all of our personal friends who listen to the show, I want all <laughs> answers to this to come in the form of real emails to our show email. <laughs> this is my personal entreaty to you now. But anyway, so maybe some manna in there in a little jar. And also maybe Aaron, Moses' brother, maybe his staff. You made it sound for a second like just Aaron was in the Ark of the Covenant. Like, like he, he just got buried in it or like decided he was going to stay there and guard the Ten Commandments or something. No, that would be weird. No, just just his staff. He's uh, in there like mummified, clutching the tablets. Actually, you know what? That's not even that weird. That could totally be a thing. It wasn't. But, <laughs> but it totally could be a thing. It could have been. All right. But uh, it's just his staff. Yeah, it's a staff. It turned into a snake one time. and it, Okay. I it, was going to ask if it was a staff of significance. Yeah, it grew some almonds one time. 
Okay. Very fancy stuff. At some point, we have to talk about all the plants that happen in the Bible. So there's a lot of plants. That would be a weird hodgepodge of an episode, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> you know? You'd get me yelling about figs for a while. It'd be fun. I need... We have to do the fig story <laughs> because I don't know the fig story. I just know there's a story about figs. We'll get to it. Okay. Anything else? Staff, mana, tablets. That's it. That's okay. all. That's all that's in there. Do we know what the Ark looked like? Oh, do we? Oh, boy. Um, Is there pages and pages? There are pages and pages of interior designer God giving Moses plans for it on top of Mount Sinai. Okay, so it's part of the interior design. Yes, so much. The short version, it's a gold-plated wooden box, one and a half cubits tall by two and a half cubits long. How tall is a cubit? (laughs) By one and a half cubits wide. It's the length from your elbow to the tip of your finger. On the standard human being? On the standard human being. The article that I was reading estimated it to be about 18 inches. Okay. So this box, roughly converted, is about two feet tall by four feet long by two feet wide. Okay. Very roughly. On the top of the ark is the mercy seat, which is a gold plate, and it has two cherubim on it. Depending on who you ask, cherubim might just be what you think of when you think angel. Okay. But also, (laughs) it might have four wings and four faces. The four faces are one of a man, one of an ox, one of a lion, and one of an eagle. So, maybe that. I don't know where that came from, but I like that one better. That's a description that gets given in there, but, like, people can't seem to agree on exactly what cherubim looked like. Okay, but it's not actually a chair, it's just a plate. It's a plate, and the cherubim, they have their wings stretched out towards the center, they're facing each other. Okay. And the tips of the wings meet in the middle. So it's like a little tent. Kinda. And God speaks to Moses out of this little space between the wings. Like up or like out? I don't know. Okay. The Bible is not that specific. (laughs) It's really specific about some of this. It's worth asking. (laughs) I do not know what the directionality of God's voice out of the mercy seat is. Okay, so there's a space at the top that is sort of sheltered by winged things from which God's voice appears. Yes. Okay. Also, there's rings on the corners of the bottom of Mm -hmm. the ark. So you can put sticks in it and carry it? Yes, exactly. Because you you can't touch it. Ah. It's too fancy to touch. So you need the sticks, which are also gold-plated. Wow. gold. Where did they get all this gold? I have no idea. Okay. They melted down their jewelry. For some reason, they had a lot of jewelry as they were slaves coming out of Egypt. You know. (laughs) They mined it. Maybe, in the desert. They discovered how to pay for gold in the non-existent river in the desert. (laughs) Now they're all prospectors. Yes. Please give them all beards and shabby hats. (laughs) Because they probably had beards, but add shabby hats. That's what I'm picturing. And they said tarnation a lot. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. All right. <laughs> so a bunch of prospectors build a gold-plated box with the gold that they pan from the non-existent river in the desert. Exactly. Did you ever pan for gold? Have you panned for gold? Oh, yeah. I, I lived in Arizona for a while, and so we went to, like, the touristy mining towns. Oh, good. Did you go on a school trip and pan for gold? Um, I don't think we ever did it on a school trip. Oh. I think it was just, like, family and, like, relatives who wanted to visit the Southwest. All right. Because I pan for gold on multiple school trips as a child. That makes sense. Once it got canceled by a blizzard. Oh, wow. I think it being theoretically warm enough to go stand in a river and pan for gold and then getting interrupted by a blizzard is maybe the most Colorado of childhood stories. That does feel very Colorado. Yeah. 
Nice. All right, but prospectors aside. Yeah. So we're in the desert. When the Israelites are not on the move, the Ark is kept in the innermost room of the sanctuary tent. It's called the Holy of Holies. Okay. Only the high priest can go in, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Wow. Yeah, Yom Kippur. They built a room for one day? I mean, it's in there all year round. But they built a room you can only go in on one day? Yeah. And even then, it's only the one guy can go in, and it's so that he can offer a sacrifice and sprinkle blood on it. Okay. What kind of sacrifice are we talking here? Animal. Okay. Like goat or something? Yeah. Maybe ox. Some kind of animal. All right. I'd have to look closer to remember what kind. There's a lot of animal sacrifices at this point in time in the Bible. I have a lot of questions about animal sacrifices. Like, are the bones of all these animals just in the holiest of holies for the rest of time? Is he just bringing the blood in? I believe it's just the blood for this. It's just, we're sprinkling the blood on the 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 mercy seat. Okay. So they've done their blood thing. When it's not moving. Yeah. When it's not moving, that's what goes on there. Okay. When they are on the move... They take down the screening curtain, which is the curtain that the Ark is behind, and they put it over top of the Ark, and then they put a durable leather cover over top of that. Okay. And then they put a blue cloth over top of that. Wow. It's very well protected. Yes. And also then no one is looking at it. Yes. It's very important. Yes. And while they were traveling, the Ark would be 2,000 cubits ahead of the rest of the people. Ah, so it's out in the distance. Yeah, it's leading them. Mm-hmm. And there's a pillar of clouds above the ark that the people are following. And it's just there because God put it there? Because God is the pillar of clouds. Okay. So God is just hanging out. Is he chatting with the guys holding the sticks? Probably, Probably not. Okay. Probably just leading them in his terrifying pillar of clouds form. At night, it's a pillar of fire. Okay, that's scarier. Yes. I think if I was being followed around by a pillar of clouds, that'd be kind of cool. Sort of cartoony, but like maybe pretty cool. Oh, yeah, definitely like Super Mario World clouds with the, the smiles on them. Yes, exactly. exactly. That's, that's, you guys are getting the, my weird mental images of what's happening. See, I'm thinking somewhere between that and the times that God shows up in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Somewhere in between those. <laughs> with a little dash of the sentient patch of haze from Welcome to Nightmare. I, you lost me on that one. That's fine. I figured that that was going to be a, a low chance that you'd catch that, but somebody who listens to the show gets that right. Probably. All of my references are religion. I need to get a life. (laughs) It says the guy who hosts a religious podcast. It's fine. For fun. I listen to some other podcasts that are not religious. We need to start a bit on the show where I ask you what secular media you've consumed this week. (laughs) Not a lot. (laughs) But anyway, pillar of clouds leading these people. All right. But at night it's a pillar of fire. Yes. The Kohathites, which are a branch of the Levites... Okay, so the Levites are the tribe that does the priest things. Exactly. They're the ones who carry the Ark. Okay. They're not allowed to touch the Ark or they will die. They can only touch the poles. They can't even look at the Ark or they will die. So who puts the cover on the Ark? The high priest? Yeah, only the one guy who is allowed to see it. Okay, so he swaddles it in its many layers of things and then it's like, all right, guys, you can come do your thing. Technically, someone could just lean into the one piece of fabric and it just like... Falls down on top of the Ark. I suppose that's true. <laughs> I doubt that's how they did it. No. But good to know that in an emergency, there's a way you could do it. Probably. Right? So one guy actually did die from touching the Ark. Did uh, it melt his face? No. His name was Uza, I guess. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Spell it. U-Z-Z-A-H. Okay. That's my best guess. Uza? <laughs> I meant to look this one up. I actually didn't. Sorry, guys. That's... 
a running joke on this show, I guess. Yeah, I can't pronounce anything. At this point, this was much later, they had the Ark in a cart, and it was being pulled by oxen. And one of the oxen stumbled, and Uzza reached up to steady the Ark, and God got very mad and killed him immediately. Oh my god. (laughs) King David was mad about this, so he sassily named the place uh, Perez Uzza, meaning... To burst out against this. <laughs> oh my god. So he called God out in his naming of this spot. This is the spot where we say, God threw a fit here. Sorry, bro. <laughs> exactly. The Ark could do some other cool things. Less killy cool things. Wait, we had a point where it did cool stuff? Yeah, it did some cool stuff. Alright, I'm ready. According to one Midrash, which is some Jewish writings okay. that are not like explicitly in the Old Testament, the Ark would clear the path for the nation by burning snakes, scorpions, and thorns with two jets of flame that shot out from its underside. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> that is so badass! I love it! <laughs> Another time, this one actually is in the Bible, the Israelites finally made it to the Promised Land, and they went to cross the Jordan River, and the river stopped flowing as soon as the Levites carrying the Ark stepped into it. And all the people were able to walk across dry land before it started flowing again. Oh, so they parted another body of water. They did. And less parted, more just like stopped it. But then how could you walk across dry land? I mean, like, like you get it not rushing. Right. It'd and still so be it, like a like, puddle. But it was like dammed up. Oh, okay. So it's not really like parted. It's just like they stopped everything behind a certain point. Okay. They, they temporarily dammed it. Yeah. That makes more sense. Less parting, but like kind of the same effect. All right. So yeah, they, they did that and got to walk across. But the biggest thing that people have probably heard about is what the Ark did at the city of Jericho. Okay. Did it melt some people's faces? It did not melt some people's faces. Okay. Now I've heard about Jericho, but that's because we talked about Jericho in Good Samaritan? Is that Jericho? Jericho is where bad things happen. This is a very different time. Okay. This is way back before Jesus. All right. The Israelites were in the promised land, but even though it was promised to them, other people were already living there. Yes. So they had to get rid of those people. Yes. And Jericho was one of the cities that had other people in it. Were they Samaritans? (laughs) They were not. Okay. (laughs) Did we have Samaritans yet? Mm, Yes, no, no, maybe? No, because they hadn't split off. They were still, I believe, all together. Okay. But in Um, Jericho. There were people. There needed to be not people. So Jericho had these big walls around it. Okay. And so the Israelites could not take it over. God told them, don't worry, guys. Just march around the city with the ark and all of the men and have seven priests in front and have those priests blowing ram's horns. Go once around the city each day. Okay. And so they did this for six days. And then on the seventh day, God said, okay, now today do it seven times. And then shout. I really hope that the end result of this is they all shout and the walls fall. The walls come a-tumbling down. Yes! <laughs> I don't know why that's so satisfying, but it's very satisfying. It's pretty good. I could not figure out for the life of me why I felt compelled to say the walls came a-tumbling down. It's from a song. Great. <laughs> that was the big thing. The Ark was very important in taking over Jericho. Taking down the walls of Jericho. Yeah. After that, they set up the sanctuary tent in Shiloh, and it stayed there until the war with the Philistines. Okay. During this war, the Ark was captured by the Philistines, and Eli the high priest immediately died upon hearing the news that it was captured. 
Okay. He's very upset. He died or he got smoked by God? No, he died. I think it was like, like of shock. shame? Yeah, maybe. Maybe shame. Shock, shame, but it was his own feelings that killed him, not the yeah, will of God. I do not believe that God killed him. It was not his fault, I think. Okay. But did something terrible happen to the Philistines because they had the Ark? Oh, of course it did. Good. <laughs> So the Philistines took it back to their capital city, Ashdod, and they put it in the temple of their god, Dagon. The next day, the idol of the god had fallen on its face. They replaced the statue, but the next day they came back and they found it decapitated. Oh my god, it's haunted! And then, the next day, the city was struck with a plague. I like that he pranked them first. (laughs) That god was just like... Here, let me remind you that you're messing with another deity and, like, just decided to spend two days lightly pranking them. Yeah, this felt, like, very reasonable for Old Testament God. Like, hey, you guys are making a mistake. Oops. (laughs) You might want to change your minds about this. You're not going to change your minds about this? Okay, plague. Plague. (laughs) Was it a disease plague or a plague of all the other kinds of fun things that people got plagued with? I think a disease plague. After this, they tried moving the Ark around to different cities where the Philistines lived. And they all got plagues. And yep, whatever city they put it in, plague. Plague. So... And it could not have become because diseases are communicable. It had to be because of the Ark. Absolutely not. No, this is God. Yeah. Germ theory didn't exist, so it didn't count. Nope. (laughs) It doesn't matter that the people carrying the Ark came from a town where there was a plague. (laughs) Nope. God's gonna smite you. If, you're suggesting that. Man, if I was going to get smoked by God, it would have happened already. <laughs> I'd probably be going down with you. <laughs> so this went on for seven months. Oh they moved God. it around. And they finally, after seven months, decided to send it back, along with a bunch of gifts, just saying, please take this. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're <laughs> sorry. We're sorry. We're also sick. <laughs> were there any Philistines left at that point? There were. Um, when the Ark got back, a bunch of the Israelites were staring at it because it had been gone and they, I guess they were excited to see it. And, and they all got smoked because they were looking at the Ark? And they were staring at it disrespectfully, so they too got struck with a plague. Oh my god. <laughs> but also, they had just come in contact with a bunch of gifts from a bunch of people who were from a plague-affected town. <laughs> I love this theory, and it did not cross my mind. <laughs> the germs are communicable? <laughs> It's a totally reasonable thing to explain for this plague business. Yes. Germs are communicable, Brian. Uh, Just because they didn't know how germs work doesn't mean germs didn't work. But, you know, that first plague, that was all God. And sure. then he just let it spread. Okay. If you would like to believe that I'm not here to mess with anyone's core religious beliefs. It's not the point of this podcast. If this story was the bedrock of my faith, I would be in such big trouble. <laughs> Correct. But anyway, eventually the Ark made it to Jerusalem. But they stopped at a couple other cities along the way. One of the reasons they stopped is because this is the journey on which the one guy was killed. Oh, the guy who fell over it. Yeah. That happened during this point in time. Then the Ark stayed in the tent in Jerusalem until King Solomon finished his temple and it was placed inside the temple. Did it get its own room? It did. It had a holiest of holies room again. Yes. It stayed in this temple until the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians who were led by King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. 
and the Ark was destroyed along with the temple. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Okay, now where are we in relation to Jesus? Are we still way before Jesus? We're way before. Okay. So this is first temple period. Jesus was, they built a whole other temple. I just know Jesus was alive when a temple got destroyed. Well, no. Or a temple got attacked. So pretty soon after Jesus died, the second temple was destroyed. That was like 70 CE. Jesus died in like 35. Okay. So, but this is the first temple. Yeah. This is the OG temple. Yeah, this is a different temple way before Jesus. But with its destruction came the destruction of the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe. Maybe. Ooh. Ooh. All right, what are the theories? We're pretty sure it was not just taken by the Babylonians because they made really meticulous lists of the things that they ransacked from this temple. And also none of them got plague. That's true. None of them got plague. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I also like that the Babylonians are compulsive note takers. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like, and we stole this, and we stole this. <laughs> Tells me a lot about the Babylonians. Great. <laughs> Everything I need to know. <laughs> so I mentioned last time in the second book of the Maccabees, Jeremiah hides the Ark in a cave, and he declares that this place shall remain unknown. But this book is part of the Apocrypha, so it's not accepted by Protestants, and generally not accepted by most uh, Jewish people either. Okay, but the theory being that he might have smuggled it out of the temple before the temple was destroyed and hid it in a cave? Yeah. All right. Are Uh, there other prevailing theories of where it might have gone? Yes. Some Jewish writings suggest that Josiah was the one who hid the Ark instead of Jeremiah. All these J names. Exactly. They're all Duggars. I was about to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure both of those actually are Duggars. And if they're not, at least one of them is married to someone with that name. Probably. (laughs) The theory about where Josiah hid it was that maybe he dug a hole under the wooden storehouse that was on the Temple Mount. Okay. And he put it there. He's like, here, no one's going to look under this shed. Exactly. And it would have been close. The temple was on the Temple Mount, so it would have been been easy to get it to there. Although, you'd have to dig a pretty big hole. Yeah, it's a two by four by two hole quickly while under attack. The theory is that he knew the attack was coming. Okay, he prepared a hole. Attacks were much slower at this point in time. <laughs> Fair. You could see to... them marching across the desert for days. Right. And this temple is like on a like a hill. Yeah. So you look across and you see the like swarms of dust in the distance slowly creeping upon exactly. you. Exactly. And you start digging a hole. Right. Yeah. You hide this thing. All right. Other people say that Solomon set aside a cave and Josiah put it in that cave. Josiah or Jeremiah? Josiah. Okay. I thought Jeremiah was cave guy. Different cave? Different cave. Okay. (laughs) Lots of theories about caves. So many caves. I mean, caves are super convenient to hide things in. It's true. Uh, Another thing that I mentioned last time is that some people claim that the Ark is in the Ethiopian city of Aksum. Yeah. In the Chapel of the Ark, where it's guarded very closely by monks. Mm Mm-hmm. According And they totally believe that they have the real art. Oh, for sure, yeah. How do they think they got it? According to their community, they acquired the Ark during the reign of King Solomon when his son, whose mother was the Queen of Sheba, stole the Ark after a visit to Jerusalem. Okay, but before the Babylonians got there? Yes, this would have been before. In their version of events, the Queen of Sheba stole the Ark. Yes. And brought it to Ethiopia. Yes. Bef- and it has been there since. Yes, before the temple was destroyed. Okay. And so there was a period of time where this inner room that, like, really nobody could verify anyway was just empty. And nobody knew. Yeah. If that's true, 
hats off to the Queen of Sheba and whoever her associates were who figured out how to, like, smuggle that thing out of a room. Yeah, but no one can verify if this is actually the Ark because only one monk is ever allowed to see it. Yeah. So we just have to take his word for it if we believe that. Yep. A more likely location has been suggested by archaeologist Dr. Lean Rittmeyer. He claims that the Ark is inside the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. Okay. He says that he found the spot on the Mount where the Holy of Holies was located in the first temple, and that there's a section of bedrock cut out of that spot that matches the dimensions of the Ark. So in this version of events, instead of Josiah digging a hole outside a shed, they literally put a trapdoor in the Holiest of Holies. Basically, yeah. So he suggests that the Ark is just still buried in the Temple Mount, just okay. deep. This probably will not get verified ever, because the religious authorities who have control of the site probably would not allow excavation. Yeah, that would be really intrusive Yeah, on a very holy site where people are, like, coming to worship all the time. Yeah, and also there's multiple different religions yeah. who consider this site holy, and it would just be a mess to try to navigate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, not worth it. So that's honestly the probably most likely spot. And then there is Ron Wyatt. Yes, this is the guy <laughs> we talked about last week. Oh, I love Ron Wyatt. <laughs> New best friend of the pod, Ron Wyatt. He was in Jerusalem in 1978 when he was approached by a member of the Israeli Antiquities Authority who invited him to take a walk in the Garden Tomb grounds. Okay. While he was walking through this area, his arm pointed to a pile of trash next to an encampment and these words came out of his mouth. There is Jeremiah's grotto and the Ark of the Covenant is in there. He hadn't even thought of those words, but they came out through God's direction. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the official with Mr. Wyatt said, that was wonderful to hear, and he would give Ron a place to stay and food to eat while working on the site. Ron was confused because he had not even thought about the Ark, and yet God spoke through him with those words. And here we are. <laughs> so the garden tomb is actually a real place, and it's a plausible location for Jesus's tomb. Okay. But most people consider the tomb to be at the site of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. All right. So this is like a secondary possibility site. I've never been to Jerusalem, but I can imagine that there's a lot of, this is a idea of where a really holy thing happened, but here's the other option. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. I'm certain. We got into a little bit of that with the Cana episode. Oh, yeah. With where's Cana? Yeah. So above the tomb, Ron claims to have found holes that the crosses were placed in. But this evidence was destroyed by a careless dig in 2006. A careless dig by Ron? No, Ron died in 1999. Oh. Yeah, his friend was writing this whole website. Okay, in <laughs> memorial. Basically, and it ends that section with just the sentence, very sad. God. <laughs> All right, so there were some holes that might have held crosses. Right, and there's a crack in the rock here that Ron claims is from when the earth split at the moment that Jesus died. Okay, so these are like the crosses... Where Jesus was crucified, the crosses. This is what these people claim. Okay. <laughs> On January 6th in 1982, Ron crawled into the cave where the Ark was located. When Ron... Which is on this hill, in this garden. Under this hill. Okay. In a cave. In a cave. It's a very narrow cave. There's pictures of him hunched and like okay. wiggling his way through it. All right, so he crawls into the cave. When Ron first entered the cave, he noticed a dark substance that had dripped out of a crack in the ceiling directly above the Ark. 
onto the top of the stone sarcophagus and down inside it. So there is actually a sarcophagus in this cave. Right. It's a sarcophagus that contains the Ark. But like, they found an actual thing? They claim they found this thing. (laughs) Okay. Keep going, because I have a lot of questions. Ron is the only person who's ever been in this cave, just so you know. Great. (laughs) Has anyone found the cave since Ron found the cave? Ron's friend knows where the cave is. (laughs) Okay. I just rolled my eyes a (laughs) little But Okay, uh, so there's a stone sarcophagus, there's liquid dripping on it. And the lid of the sarcophagus had been moved aside, allowing the dark substance to drip inside onto the Ark. Which is a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, as you'll see, it's a pretty exciting thing. Oh boy. (laughs) This dark substance dripped directly onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was at this moment that Ron realized that the cross hole led down to the spot from above. Oh my god, it's Jesus' blood! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> allowed this dark substance to drip onto the Ark. And Ron passed out when he realized that this substance was the actual blood of Jesus. Oh my god. Ron was unconscious for 45 minutes, exhausted from double pneumonia and hard work. Oh my god. Why he was doing this when he had double pneumonia, I don't know. Well, because when you have a chance to go into a cave with the Ark of the Covenant, you do it. I guess. <laughs> but he also might have been delirious. He could have been hallucinating. Yeah. In this cave, he also found the table of showbread, the seven-branched lampstand, and the golden altar of incense, and the golden censure that all remain there today. And those are all the things that are described in the interior design portion of the story of the Ten Commandments. Yes. Those all would have been in this innermost room with the Ark. Great. I mean, I remember the stories of the seven-branched lampstand. Yeah, that one was a good example of interior designer god. Yep. He brought out a very large sword that probably belonged to Goliath. Great. (laughs) Numerous oil lamps, a brass shekel weight, a brass ring, and an ephod, which is like an apron thing that priests wore. Okay. So he did appear with some presumed antiquities. Yes, but I could not find evidence of these things ever physically existing anywhere else. They're probably in his friend's basement. Maybe. One thing that actually does exist that he talked about was an ivory pomegranate. It's like the size of like a thumb. It's very little. Okay. This is a real thing and it's actually in a museum, but every article I could find said that it appeared on the French antique market in the 80s and that no one knows where it came from before that. No one acknowledges Ron. <laughs> Great. And Except Ron and his friend's website. And the picture... That Ron has of this pomegranate on his website is in a glass case in the museum. And part of the caption says they do not allow pictures in this museum. Amazing. (laughs) But this is a real thing that no one attributes to Ron except for Ron, who says that he found it in the cave with the Ark of the Covenant. Right. And this is a real thing that scholars are divided on, but certainly some credible people believe that it was in the first temple. Okay. So there it is. Maybe Ron found it and then lost it and then it appeared in France, but it's a real thing. Great. So in Ron's last visit to the cave in the mid-1990s, he dropped down into the cave and felt that he was not alone. Okay. As he turned around, he could see four men in the cave. They were the four angels that had been guarding the ark since Moses put the Ten Commandments inside. Great. 
He saw that the angels had placed all the furniture in its proper configuration in the cave and removed all of the debris. Good for them. Yeah, it was very nice of them. <laughs> Glad that they waited all the way until 1980-whatever to do this. Uh, mid-1990s. Okay. <laughs> it had been a while. <laughs> Ron thought that he would never be able to open the Ark since there were the heavy golden angels on top yep. of the mercy seat, and it was solid gold, and he estimated it weighed like 500 pounds. But the angels were there to help him this time. Oh, cute. <laughs> the but angel- there's still blood dripping on it? The blood is still there. The blood is no longer dripping, but there is dried blood that is still on the mercy seat. Okay. Um, now I, we know. Yeah. I don't know why the blood was dripping before is no longer dripping. Maybe it's still dripping, but he talks about dried blood this time. Okay. The angels ask Ron to position his video camera to film what is about to happen next. Oh, great. Does he have pneumonia this time? Not that I know of. Okay. (laughs) They lift up the top of the ark, and they tell him to reach in and take the Ten Commandments out. And they say that when a worldwide law is in force, forcing men to violate the law of God, then the commandments are to be shown to mankind. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay, angels. Whatever you say. (laughs) So, Ron takes out the Ten Commandments, hands them to one of the angels, and they place them on the shelf in the cave along with the video showing their removal. One of the angels also told Ron to take a sample of Christ's blood and have it analyzed. So Ron did this. Yep. He removed a sample of Christ's blood from the mercy seat of the Ark, and he paid a lab in Israel to do an analysis on the blood. So this lab... They put the blood in saline solution for 72 hours, and they added a growth medium to the blood for 48 hours. Okay, this sounds like normal science stuff. (laughs) I don't know enough about how any of this shit works to know if this is real. (laughs) Those are all things that I've heard people talk about on crime shows. (laughs) Okay, great. So we'll go with that. Then Ron asked them to do a chromosome test, but they told him that he was wasting his money since you can't do a chromosome test on dead white blood cells. They did it anyway because he insisted. And also probably because he was paying them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And as they began viewing the cells under the microscope, they saw the cells dividing. Oh my god! <laughs> they Science! <laughs> and they, they could tell that it was human blood, and that this blood was alive! They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Oh my god! And they... Did they <laughs> test it against Ron's DNA? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably a good idea. But there's no way it could have been Ron, and you'll see why in a second. Oh god! So they continued their tests, and they found that it was unique from any other human blood. Each cell contained 24 chromosomes. I don't even know how that works. So the normal amount is 46. Okay. And so the theory that Ron came up with was Christ received 23 from Mary and one Y chromosome from his father to make him a guy. <laughs> I don't even have words. I'm really just out of words. Uh, and apparently the people in the lab were beside themselves and they had tears in their eyes. And they asked, whose blood is this? And Ron said, it is the blood of your Messiah. Oh, boy. And they began wailing and shouting. Okay. (laughs) No other human being has had the same chromosome count, said the guys in the lab. And so Ron jumps back to the cave and said that while he was in there, he took a bunch of pictures, but they were all blurry because God was not ready to reveal it. So he couldn't show these guys all the pictures from inside the cave. But what about the video? The video was not blurry. But Ron was so freaked out by the responsibility of having this because it wasn't supposed to be shown. That he ran away without taking the camera with him. No. Left it in the cave. He he took it back to the cave and left it there with the angels and said, will you guys please keep this? (laughs) Ron. Ron, you're trying so hard, sweetheart. You're working so hard. And Ron, unfortunately, passed away in 1999. And 
the location of the room was lost, with the exception of his one friend who knows where it is. Okay. And they're staying very quiet about this for why? Because they can't reveal it until there's that law that talks about how... Everyone must violate... Everyone must, yeah, violate God's law. Okay. Somewhere there is a cave, according to Ron, with the Ark and some dried Jesus blood. Great. (laughs) But who knows? (laughs) Oh boy, Ron. And then if you ask some other theologians, they don't care where the Ark is because Mary's the new Ark anyway. Because everything's a metaphor again. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) That I think is going to have to be its own episode because I am just not even ready to unpack the sentence you just said. (laughs) I'm still processing, Ron. (laughs) I'm not ready to let the Ark be a person. And all of this go back to being a metaphor. It's the Ark of the Second Covenant. And Jesus was the Second Covenant. And he was contained within Mary. Okay, that's a good Cliff Notes version of this that makes sense. Unsurprisingly, one of the people that was a proponent of that theory was our good buddy, Augustine. Yeah. (laughs) Quality. Because it's always him. Great. Do you have anything else, Brian? That's all I have on the arc. Do do we really need any more? No, I was hoping you would say you were done. (laughs) This was great. Uh, Let's take a quick break and then we'll have even more fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. I've been doing pretty good lately. You have. So let's see how we do this week. Yeah, this week we have St. Norbert of Zanton. Awesome. Good name. Yeah. He was born in Zanton, Germany in 1080 to a noble family. Okay. He was raised in the royal court and served as an almoner, which has nothing to do with almonds, but does it have to do with almanacs? No. Oh. It is the person in charge of distributing alms. Okay. Like donations to the poor? Yes. Great. Tithing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tie back to whatever I can. Give me a break. <laughs> um, I know 19 things about religion. Yeah. And more every week. And more every week. <laughs> yeah. So he worked for Emperor Henry V. He led a very worldly life in this German court. And he only took holy orders as a career move. Interesting, but okay. He ended up joining the Benedictines when he decided that he was going to go this route. One day, he was out riding, and suddenly the weather took a turn. And the wind picked up, and the rain started to pour down, soaking him through. Then lightning struck nearby, frightening his horse and causing it to buck him off. For an hour, he lay unmoving in the rain. When he finally awoke, his first words were, Lord, what do you want me to do? The same words spoken by Paul when he was in a very similar situation. Oh yeah, he got struck by lightning and fell off a horse. He did. In response, Norbert heard in his head, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And this was a conversion experience for him. And he finally started to take his vows seriously. Okay, so he was already a monk, and then he had a Paul moment, and now he's more devout. Yeah, before he was just... It was, yeah, it was his his career move. Yeah, a lot of people at this time became clergy because it was a powerful position. And because they weren't, for whatever reason, inheriting titles or power or money. Yeah, he must have been a younger son or something. Yeah. Okay, so now he's devout. Yes. And he worked for reform within his order's house, but this wasn't enough for him. So he gave up everything he had to the poor and left to be a wandering preacher. 
quality. Yeah. But, you know, converts taking it too far. Yeah. You know how <laughs> uh, it goes. To make up for his worldly ways, he now chose the most difficult ways of travel. Walking barefoot in the middle of winter through snow and ice. Conditions were so rough that his two companions actually died of exposure. And he lost many toes. Uh, not explicitly stated, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yep. <laughs> Norbert gained the respect of the clerics who had criticized him in the past. And then he founded a community in France that came to be known as the Norbertines, or the Premonseratinarians. <laughs> I don't That's even... very wrong. <laughs> I don't even know what language you were trying to speak there. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. All right, deep breath. <laughs> Premonstratensians. Yeah, that's okay. as close as we're getting. Great. Prima something somethingians. Norbertines. 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 They were known for their extreme strictness. But despite this, they attracted enough people to fill eight abbeys and two convents. Wow. Yeah. Norbert's communities were a little more lax in one way, though. They were one of the first to accept lay people. They did this when they welcomed Theobald, a man who was called to marriage but still wanted to follow Norbert and his community. Eventually, Norbert was made a bishop, and when he got to his new residence as bishop, the porter refused to let him in because he thought he was a beggar because of the way he was dressed. Of course. The crowd had to convince this porter, no, 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 this guy is actually our new bishop. But Norbert told the porter that he was right the first time and he left in a huff, disgusted at the worldly ways of the townspeople. And he only came back because he was pressured by the Pope. Oh my God. <laughs> Eventually, he was made an archbishop, which is like a step yep. above. And he died soon after at the age of 53. So... Shannon, you're not going to get this one. I have no idea. I'm literally just racking my brain and I have no idea. What is St. Norbert the patron of? I I don't even have a guess. Just guess something. Cold feet. (laughs) I wish. Norbert is the patron against birth complication and for peace. Okay. Weird. (laughs) So weird. Yeah, I don't understand why for birth complication, honestly. Or for peace. He wasn't even, like, a wartime bishop who, like, advocated for nonviolence or something. He did, like, sort out some fights between... There there were some issues with who was going to be the next pope. Okay. But if I had included that fact, it wouldn't have helped you anyway. No, no, it would not have. (laughs) Although, if you want some charming, non-religious Norbert-related content, there is a dog on Instagram named Norbert who is super, super cute, and he also has a children's book, and he's adorable, so if you need a cute dog to look at, look up Norbert the dog on Instagram. That's nice. Yes. I will put a link in the show notes to Norbert's Instagram. That'll be my non-religious thing I do. (laughs) Yes, please follow this dog on Instagram. Hey guys, give me suggestions for books and podcasts and things that are not religious. All right, everybody, <laughs> if you want to tweet at us specifically, if you want to tweet Brian some secular content for your week, our Twitter handle is at school for heathens. If you want to email us about whatever mana actually is in whatever pop culture we forgot, email us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. If you like the show, go rate us, review us on iTunes, and then 
tell your friends about us. It turns out, studies show that the number one way people find out about podcasts is through word of mouth. So if you would like to have more friends to talk about the weird stuff we say on the show, you should have more of your friends listen to our show. I like that. It sounds so official. Study show. I know. I read an article. (laughs) When you become a podcaster, you do things like read articles about how people find podcasts. Oh, your experience of this podcast is so different than mine. (laughs) I know. Mine is, oh, now I get ads about tabernacles. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Thank you to Adam Griffin for our amazing theme music. And thank you to David Griffin for our logo and for editing the show. Sorry about whatever weird background noise that was happening earlier. And also, thanks for having another really cool dog on the internet. Corey does not have her own Instagram, but she probably could. She is a quality, quality dog. She's a good, good, weird-shaped dog. <laughs> she's a great dog. I don't think she's weird-shaped. <laughs> she's normal dog-shaped. She's she's very broad. Yes. She's a broad girl. <laughs> but she's so good. I miss that dog. All right. That's enough from us this week, I think, Brian. Amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. With all of your friends. 